Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Say, uh, dirtbag. This is Kid Schreiner, the voice of the Green Arrow, and you are listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam, streaming at DCAUReview.com. And on your favorite podcast. The original Justice League has become a memory. I am resigning from the Justice League. What's going to happen to the League now? We rebuild. From the ashes of that great conflict, a new team has arisen. A much, much bigger team. Each of you brings something different to the table. Old friends, new heroes. And as usual, plenty of bad guys jumping up to get beat down. Calm down, and I'll let you go. How about you kiss my ass? Watch out, evildoers. There's nowhere to run. Because this year, they're all around you. The league is unlimited. An all-new original series starring every superhero worth cheering for. And then some. Justice League Unlimited. Where am I exactly? Among friends, there's strength in numbers. Welcome, everybody, to episode 205 of the DCAU Review. I am one of your hosts, Cal, with me, my good friend, good brother, the man that runs our Twitter account. That's right. It is Liam. Liam, we are smack dab in the middle of a month of Justice League Unlimited episodes. And uh, boy, this week we are in for a treat with another one of, it's definitely my favorite Justice League Unlimited episode of all time, I think. And uh, it's definitely a fan favorite. Welcome to episode 205 of the DCAU Review. That's right, it's that's beloved by you and and myself as well of course as well as as you said the fans and uh even one of the the shows uh you know one of the the founding fathers of the whole dcau bruce tim uh, counts this as one of his favorite jlu episodes so uh we are in rarefied air here as we review the episode double date that is correct a uh, a fun one that we're about to get into here that actually uh, for for what it's worth, there is uh, not a ton of connection to the overall Cadmus story arc here. There's some some uh, they allude to it at times, but there's not really much moved forward in the case of the the Cadmus story arc that we've been covering here. But that doesn't mean that the detour is not one that uh, we are welcome to to have here. So, but before we get into discussing uh, one of my favorite episodes and. Bruce Timms and your favorites of the Justice League Unlimited run here. Let's get our official IMDb synopsis brought to you by The Pod Tower. That's right. Check out youtube.com slash The Pod Tower. Get our entire back catalog every justice league unlimited episode that we've ever reviewed plus much much more and in addition to that you get great content from our friends 
at Tim Talk and the Watchtower database as well. Liam, this episode originally debuted here in the States on the Cartoon Network back on June the 4th, 2005. That's right. means we're coming up here in just a little bit, a little over a month or so here. We'll be celebrating the 17-year anniversary of this episode. That's right. So this synopsis is for the episode, A Double Date, which is written by Gail Simone with uh, direction by Joaquin De Santos, uh, with music by uh, two thirds of the dynamic music partners for Carter and Michael Christian, and uh, animation by DR Movie Co. And that synopsis reads as such. Seeking to avenge the death of her parents, the Huntress enlists the help of the question in tracking down Stephen Mandragora, a mobster in a protective custody and who is being guarded by the Green Arrow and Black Canary. Oh, no. Poor sentence structure. Very wordy. Missing some of the, the content there, the, the plot. Uh, I, I do not like that description at all. Yeah, you know what? It, it it just limped across the finish line for me. You know, this is it's a passing grade, but it's not uh, it's not being uh, you know it's not going to get you valedictorian. So right. it might get you a degree because C's get you degrees, but we will not right. uh, we will not we will not labor with that it, that crowdsourced description of this episode. Instead, Liam, we will begin talking about our own description of the plot here. We of course have the cold open that we get here taking place what what appears to be someone's mansion and there are these two extremely stereotypical italian gangsters standing outside we'll talk a little bit uh just a little bit just how stereotypical they are and based on their character designs in just a little bit but they are discussing how to make scones and they happen to hear some noise <laughs> uh, a little bit away from them and they are uh, quite frightened and wouldn't you know it, descending from the skies is none other, none other than the Huntress, who uh, previously made some appearances in the background, but this is making her official speaking debut here for the series. And she quickly does away with these lackeys and heads inside quite, quite apparent on a, to be on a mission. She walks in and begins sort of calling out for this Stephen Mandragora. She begins telling him, essentially, she she does what you might expect the phantasm to do. Uh, she's, she's there to deliver the end of Stephen Mandragora and even fires several, several arrows from her newly obtained crossbow into what appears to be a sleeping Stephen Mandragora's body at what point she goes over to check on the body. And of course it is not him. She realizes that she's been hoodwinked. There's a stack of pillows. And it's at this point, she realizes uh, she's in a little bit of trouble. Steven Mandragora, been a while. I've changed some since we met last, but you haven't changed. All these years you've been building your empire with thievery and murder. But it ends tonight. No. Huntress. Jean, I... 
You were warned. You were told to stay away from Mandragora. You have violated my direct orders. You've crossed the line. That's right. So we, uh, we have her immediately teleported to the watchtower by a, a as we've come to find out, uh, this was something of a setup by the Martian Manhunter, Jean Jones himself, the only uh, original leaguer in this episode, and he's really only in it for a couple of minutes here. But uh, we find out that Huntress had, in fact, been warned to stay away from Mandragore, and obviously throughout the episode we'll come to find exactly her reasons for wanting to get after him and, in fact, kill him. And, uh, you know, Huntress is sort of blowing Jean off and doesn't want to hear his his lecture. And can I just and... say something real quick? It, it's funny. The irony that 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 Huntress is taken aback, that she is being watched from the watchtower. She cannot believe <laughs> that Jean would have the audacity to watch her from the watchtower. But continue. <laughs> Very good. Yes, uh, it's a good a good bit of sweet irony there. But yes, it's a Huntress is a bit defensive and, and angry at first, but then sort of seems resigned to her fate as she's willing to sort of take the slap on the wrist. But uh, Jean informs her that this won't be uh, any sort of mere disciplinary action. In fact, she is being fired from the Justice League and uh, is told to, uh, to, I guess, get her things and, and get out. So as she is uh, sort of fuming and, and trying to figure out her next move she happens upon uh the questions room where he is as you mentioned we do get mentioned as uh, was discussed in the doomsday sanction batman has sort of tasked the question with tracking down leads on on cadmus and uh hunt promises him that if he help if he helps her track down this mandragora character uh, without the league knowing, and then it's sort of getting getting around the uh, the league's explicit uh, instructions to leave him alone. That she will give him some secret info that she's learned about Cadmus that will help in his investigation. Maybe you're not looking in the right direction. You're the league's data guy, the conspiracy buff, right? Wildcat says you're a nut job. Funny, he says the same thing about you. He's right. Okay, bored now. Goodbye. You must be the ugliest guy of all time, Question. Hiding your face like that. Go away. Don't touch that. Wow. I had no idea that the Girl Scouts were responsible for the crop circle phenomenon. Few people do. Few even think to ask the question. Well, I have a question for you then. Do you know what apophenia is? Apophenia. Noun. The tendency to see connections where none exist. Did you come here just to make fun of my work? No, Q. I came to help you. And let's just keep the rest of the League out of it, shall we? Here's the deal. I tell you what I know about Cadmus. Immediately after you help me find out what rocks Steven Mandragora is hiding under. Hmm. Interesting. The question is uh, is just intrigued enough to take her up on that offer. And, uh, and from there, we actually cut to the aforementioned Mandragora. Uh, and we see him and just immediately just what a what a great what a great bad guy for this piece just this this huge anger sort of you know slovenly uh rude guy who's 
making cracks about the agents. He's making cracks at, uh, he makes some very uh, <laughs> charged remarks, would we say, to, uh, to, to Black Canary and Green Arrow and just trying to wind them all up all while sort of enjoying being in this lap of luxury as sort of is, is supposed to be sort of turning state's evidence against uh, his fellow mobsters, but uh, doesn't really seem to be giving the feds anything to really go on just yet as it seems like he's mostly just uh, content to wind up not only the, the agents, but uh, Green Arrow and Black Canary themselves. Yeah, that's a very entertaining and funny. And uh, again, one of those things that I have no idea how they got this scene uh, past some of the, the censors, because it is there's quite a few euphemisms that Mr. Mandragora uses in, in Black Canary's direction. And uh, there is some interesting cutting that we don't quite get to hear. He's he's winding them both up and and Green Arrow is the first to sort of clench his fist and, and want to go attack him. It has to be held back by this Agent Faraday that we're introduced to that is that is the uh, that is sort of trying to get as much information as he can out of Mandragora in this safe house. And we then cut to Black Canary, who is being calm, cool and collected and not allowing him to get her wound up. And then he makes he makes a uh, he makes a comment towards her about uh, her being with the Green Arrow because all of the other real men in the Justice League were already taken. Nothing this guy can say is going to affect me one way or the other. Is that right? Well, then perhaps you won't mind explaining how a lovely young lady like you ends up with a nobody like him. Were all the real men in the Justice League already taken? I hope you're proud of yourself. Now we have to do guard duty from outside. Hope I'm proud of myself. You're the one that punched him. Yeah, but ow! It was like punching a brick wall. There's no fat on that man. Will you let me look? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I think you'll live to punch suspects another day, pretty bird. Let's find some higher ground. And that seems to push her a little bit over the edge as we see that they've actually been relegated to watch from the outside. They actually head up to a tree house that is sitting in one of the trees outside, which I thought was a great set piece for this scene. They're sitting mm -hmm. in a tree house, observing the, the safe house and, as they are sitting there discussing just, I guess, the fine points of, I guess, the morality of having a, a state's witness and granting somebody immunity in exchange for information, someone that they know has killed people and done terrible things. And Black Canary is sort of 
discussing this with Green Arrow and him, he fully admitting that it's not a perfect system, but it's to get other bad guys and to get more bad guys in exchange mm-hmm. for this one. So there was some interesting commentary there. I did enjoy that. But as they're having this deep theological discussion on on this this sort of uh, this sort of way of doing things, wouldn't you know what a police car pulls up and they're immediately intrigued. Mandragora appears to be quite, uh, quite upset and potentially afraid that these two cops that he didn't recognize uh, could be after him. And uh, not only do the cops arrive, but Black Canary and Green Arrow also observe uh, what appears to be a, a Pontiac, a bluish Pontiac also pull up behind them. And they observe uh, from there, they also observe the Huntress and the question as well. And wouldn't you know that we cut back to the house and it turns out that these two cops are not, in fact, cops, but they're not here to kill Mandragora. No, they are actually Mandragora's lackeys that we were introduced to in the first scene. And uh, it, they're there to provide a distraction, which allows Mandragora, who uh, Black Canary mentioned previously, it seems he's based a little bit off of uh, perhaps the Spider-Man villain, the Kingpin. She mentions that he, while he's a hulking mass of a man, it's made, he's completely made of muscle. And uh, after she laid a punch on him, uh, you know, her hand hurts quite a lot. So uh, Mandragora, quite a formidable foe. It was a physical presence as he begins taking out these special agents. And uh, as the, as his lackeys have provided this distraction and just, just enough of a distraction here, as we see uh, that uh, he, he's actually able to escape. Not only that, but, you know, we get our first, first sort of interaction between the huntress and the question because as they walk up to the the safe house and uh and and green arrow and and uh, and the black canary sort of question them no yes very pun very much intended i think the word question is uttered about 15 times in this episode <laughs> i appreciated it but uh, they begin to question why what's going on huntress tries to say that she's been sent there by by jean but jean has actually given them the heads up ahead of time that uh, she was removed from the justice league so that causes uh, the question to throw the first punch and there's a actually we get our first hero versus hero battle that we've seen here in a while as we get the question and the huntress teaming up to to face black canary and and the green arrow and it's at this time that we realize that uh, mandragora has escaped and uh as they're doing their sort of reconnaissance and checking in the house in the aftermath green arrow notices that the question is picking something up off the ground and demands that he show him what it is the question flashes and tells him that it's this key that he picked up off the ground and this has made huntress very upset as they go their separate ways saying that he wasn't very smooth but in fact it looks like that the question has duped them into thinking that it was the key when in fact it was his key to a storage facility down by the by the train station and this in fact was a a tra- a, a ship schedule that he picked up off the ground and that they're going to head to the docks but just when they thought that they had one up over green arrow and black canary black green arrow suspected from the start that he in fact was being duped so they returned to the treehouse to observe the question and Huntress leaving and decide that they're going to do some reconnaissance of their own and and try and follow just to figure out where the question and the Huntress indeed are actually going. Yeah, I really uh, I really enjoyed this this whole this whole bit here. One because you begin to establish the 
the differences in the in the two in the two uh, pairings that we see in this episode, and you know the, the sort of the the interaction that 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 Black Canary and Green Arrow have before the question hunters get there is very sort of sweet and loving, and you establish that their relationship has has sort of progressed uh, as since we we saw them in in the Cat and Canary episode, and then. You also have this this contrasted by these just just out of control, out of their mind, huntress in question who immediately goes zero to one hundred, immediately start throwing punches to try to solve to solve their issues, and and then you know again you have you have huntress and 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 question thinking they're being so slick and that they've they've tricked canary and arrow, but of course uh, you know green arrow being has been around the block times is sort of outwitting them so the the sort of the chess game that continues there as uh, as question huntress take off towards this uh, shipping container and we at this point we kind of get the the full uh full explanation of what exactly huntress's motivations are as the question quickly uh, deduces uh, as as he would as a good detective that uh, huntress doesn't know anything about about uh, about Cadmus, but that in the meantime he's put some pieces together, including the fact that uh, Mandragora worked for Helena's father, and that uh, he eventually decided to seize power by killing uh, the Huntress's parents, and that the Huntress, of course, wants revenge. And it's a very dramatic sequence. We'll certainly talk more about it in visuals, but it really does set up this. Uh, you know, it really gives you a lot of weight to it. Again, this is this is an example of of obviously it's a it's a TV Y seven show. You can't show uh, like a guy murder two people with his bare hands, but just the the sort of the implications of it are are very going and. And, and Huntress sort of tells the question, well, then you know what, you know what I'm going to do when we find him. And, and the question is sort of still willing to, to go along with it and to, uh, to help her out. Although he sort of continues to play as to exactly why it is that he's willing to go along with this. And just as they continue to have this conversation, they notice that they are in fact being followed by, uh, by Green Arrow and, and Black Canary. And we get another kind of fun, we get a fun like car chase action beat again, as uh, they're driving up ramps and going onto train tracks and question Huntress are able to get away and Green Arrow and Black Canary are just able to avoid getting uh, getting smashed into the front of a train as they uh, call on Jean to use the teleporter to get him out of danger. But that sort of sets up that everybody is sort of uh, converging at, at the shipping yard as Mandragora and his, his henchmen have made it as well as Huntress and, and Question. And then of course, Green Arrow and, and Black Canary won't be far behind. And it's time for kind of the, the big main event here. That is right. Yeah, it's where we get the big reveal. And Huntress is speculating. She feels like they're searching for a needle in a haystack at this point. She's she's talking to the question and how in the world are they going to be able to find Mandragora? And he reveals that in actuality, he believes not that Mandragora is leaving on one of these ships, but that he's actually waiting for one of the ships to come in. And we uh, we get the reveal that he's actually there. The question is correct in this assumption and that he's actually there. Mandragora is actually there not to leave, but to meet one of the ships. And that's because there's very important cargo on that ship. That's right. His son, Edgar, who we learn had been kidnapped by a rival gang and uh, been held for ransom and who since then Stephen had 
had dealt handedly with them and made them pay, further cementing his role as this evil gangster. And uh, but uh, his son Edgar was indeed rescued, and this he was there biding his time with never really having any intention to spill any of the beans or to share any information with the government, but he was just there to bide time in an attempt uh, to 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 stall and then get away so that he could create new identities for himself and his son Edgar. But uh, before we get to that plot point reveal, of course, we have our final sort of battle here is jump right before the Huntress and the question can jump in to deal with Mandragora, Black Canary and Green Arrow show up and they begin sort of a fisticuffs battle with Mandragora, something again that we can talk about in visuals in just a second, but Black Canary has seemed to be bested despite using her canary cry. Uh, she pushes herself to the limit and nearly passes out. And just as Mandragora is about to seemingly kill her, Hunter steps in and mentions that she has arrows that will actually do some real damage, like piercing skin, as opposed to the green arrows arrows that simply bounced off of Mandragora. So it's at this point that Mandragora says, well, I guess it's surrender time uh, back to the state penitentiary. And Huntress reveals that, nope, she's there to actually kill him. And she aims her crossbow at him in a very dramatic moment while Mandragora is holding his son, Edgar. And he begins to shield him, warns him to get behind him and that everything will be okay. Of course, this mirror is a mirror image of exactly what happened to a young Helena Bertinelli as uh, she watched her own parents die and their beautiful storytelling here that she has this flashback to exactly what she saw as a child, uh, sort of peeking a look through a, through a closet, watching her parents be killed at the hands of, of uh, Mandragora. And uh, Question at this point jumps in and asks her, uh, to stop and asks her if this is what she really wants. And she hesitates for a second. Her finger goes to the trigger as if she's going to pull it. And she says, no, it's not what she wants. She still pulls the trigger, but she's since lifted her arm and shoots a, a pallet full of metal beams that drop down onto Mandragora. Black Canary swoops in to protect Edgar and Green Arrow jumps on top of the both of them in an effort to protect them from the, the steel beams. And the beams crush Mandragora, but as we mentioned, the established sort of kingpin-esque motif and his uh, physique has protected him because we get a stay alive groan and we learn that uh, that's where we learn that he was truly just trying to, to stall for time and had no interest in helping the state at that point. And we kind of get our, our last little bit there as we get... Uh, we get, we get the four heroes standing together and Huntress finally gets to ask the question uh, just why he went out of his way, knowing that he, she didn't know anything about Cadmus, why he went out of the way to the helper. And we kind of get, uh, we get the reveal and it's, it's pretty sweet. Madragora never had any intention of cooperating with the prosecutors. He was just stalling until his son arrived. Their new identities were already in place, not to mention a Cayman Island account full of ill-gotten gains to finance their new lives. You knew all along that kid was going to be on that freighter. I do my homework. Then why go to all the trouble to help? Why risk your life for me? Because I... like you. 
we going? Don't ask so many questions. I'm sorry, but ew. <laughs> yes, it's uh, it's incredible. We'll certainly talk a lot about this. I think voice acting as well, but uh, um, again, just showing the sort of the the juxtaposition between the two couples here at the end, as you have you know Canary and Green Arrow sort of sitting lovingly together, and then uh, you know Huntress is again kind of reading reading question giving the question the third degree, trying to figure out what exactly he's, uh, what exactly his angle is. And he admits finally a, a bit sheepishly that it's just because he likes her and that he, he wanted to spend some time with her. And so uh, she gives, she gives him a nice kiss. And they, uh, they again, you talk about innuendos they got away with. Uh, she, uh, she pulls him by the tie off screen and uh, tells him not to ask so many questions. And uh when when he asks where they're going and <laughs> our ending is just we we cut back to uh to green arrow and black canary who are uh, are quite disgusted by the idea of it so we uh we we get sort of again the the juxtaposition of the the, the sort of the, the more traditional and this just insane hot mess that is Huntress and Questions sort of kicking off here. So uh, really, really uh, fun. It's not a, you don't get the big grand dramatic ending, but you get this kind of fun little quirky comedy beat to go out on and have fun too. Yeah, it is. It is a, it's a nice little ending to it. I love uh, Black Canary's reaction of being just pure disgust at the fact that these two characters uh, happen to like each other and uh, have have shown their affection in front of her. So it's a fun, fun way to end it. I guess, Liam, uh, that puts a bow on our, our rundown of the actual plot. Uh, this is, as we've already mentioned, as I've already mentioned, one of my favorite stories, uh, the great Gail Simone, as you mentioned, penned this entire story. And there's mm -hmm. some great fun information that she shared a little bit uh, that you sent over today as we're preparing for the episode that uh, she actually recapped on her Twitter that I thought was just so awesome to see because, uh, you know, I this story had a completely different look to it originally originally it was supposed to be a Batgirl themed episode a sort of a birds of prey vehicle mm -hmm. that would have involved Batgirl being too injured to be or Barbara being too injured to be Batgirl and thus becoming Oracle so we get the DCAU birds of prey but uh, that that didn't work out because of a bat the bat embargo the famous bat embargo that didn't allow Justice League <laughs> uh, to, to use the Batman characters so instead they swapped out the Huntress and the the question instead and gave this to Gail Simone and boy uh, she had some some funny memories about this one and and just some really endearing things where they let a, a great writer just write a great episode. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, over over the uh, over the years on her Twitter, she's she's a great storyteller, not just in comics but on Twitter. A great follow if you haven't. Uh, we often will do these sort of longer, sort of in depth threads exploring a topic, and she was she was very good friends and you know sort of very much looked up to Dwayne McDuffie, of course, who's one of the the head writers and producers on the series, and of course, uh, you know was a big fan of Bruce Timm's work as well. So she, you know she was talked about how thrilled she was when they asked her to write an episode and she said she sort of really tried to carefully write it in the as she described it the sort of the house style of a justice league unlimited episode and uh they they got the script and and they they sort of sent it back with some notes that no no we we want a, a gail simone story not a uh you know gail simone trying to write a gun so she uh sort of took took that to heart and and rewrote it and sort of took that uh 
you know, took that uh, compliment. And as, as, as we've sort of alluded to, she also shared a story of being in sort of the back room of a, of a, of a big San Diego Comic-Con panel with, with that Bruce Tim happened to be on. And then when someone asked him what his favorite uh, Justice League Unlimited episodes were, he did in fact mention Double Date as one of them. He didn't realize that uh, Simone was in the room at the time, but uh, he mentioned this as episodes as well. And, uh, and as you mentioned, it's, it's one of our favorites uh, I, and, uh, and, and certainly I think a fan favorite among, uh, among most uh, Justice League Unlimited and DCAU fans. So it was just great. And yes, if you've ever read a comic by, by Gail Simone, this is very much in her voice. She very much has a, a you know, propensity for that, that sort of interspersing the, the epic superhero action with just these really quirky really funny dialogue bits like you talked about the 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 scone the the mobsters <laughs> arguing about scone recipes at the beginning or or even and even just some of the kind of i think kind of the sweeter moments like i said between uh between black canary and green arrow where she's she's complaining that her hand hurts after she punches mandragora and he's sort of you know arguing with her, her and uh, about that and and all that stuff so they uh there's some really fun stuff and i think in in the chase sequence when with you have sort of Huntress being sort of scared and weirded out by the questions, erratic behavior. And on the other side, you have Green Arrow being really hesitant and scared of, of how of how determined Black Canary is that she's going to catch them. So you, you have that sort of juxtaposition as well. So uh, yeah, this is this is 100% a, a Gail Simone script as uh, as was uh, requested by uh, by the producers of this show. And uh, and boy, she just knocked it out of the park. Yeah, it's great. I think uh, it's it's there's a reason why this is one of the most fun episodes. I feel like it does do a great job of balancing the action with the comedy. Um, it, you know, it, it, if you had told me that Paul Dini had wrote this episode, I would have been like, oh, yeah, definitely. Like, I, And I, I say that as a compliment <laughs> because I think it fits right into those great stories that that Paul Dini has written where there's there's comedy in it and there's certainly some some humor but there's also action and great storytelling and layering of and character building and when you think about it black canary and, and green arrow they've been established somewhat in the in the series and we did have a little bit of the question in the doomsday sanction but this is really the first opportunity that you have to to have the huntress who plays a huge role in this you're establishing her this character that was pretty popular in the 90s you're establishing her story in the DCAU and then you're taking this off the wall offbeat character that nobody really knew for the most part unless you were a diehard DC fan or uh, this question character and you're mashing these two characters together and making this weird story out of it and the character of, of the question who's this wouldn't be alien to a QAnon uh, chat board you know or, or chat room and uh, you know, just off the wall zaniness. And we talk about the voice direction and just a little bit too. There's all of that that works together with this and, and some great mm -hmm. action sequences and uh, just a, a story that is fun from start to, to finish and a character, a, a brand new character in Steven Mandragora that didn't, that was created for this series, created for this episode, but does not feel like uh, a, it didn't feel like a direct ripoff of, of, of the Kingpin. Like I know I mentioned that there are some aspects that were clearly inspired by him, but I don't think it, it did, doesn't feel like 
it's a uh, it's a direct rip and we didn't even mention it but uh we we actually mentioned it on on the episode when we covered it but there's retroactive easter eggs that this this mandragora character his son edgar eventually shows up in uh in the future in batman beyond so uh in the future past <laughs> so there's that, a that's, continu- that's- continuity that's built from it it's really great yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, Mandragora, which I think I think that name is the name of the character that uh, that is responsible for Huntress's de- parents' death, at least in one of her origins. She's one another one of those characters that had has had about fifteen different origins, I think, over the years. Uh-huh. But uh, but the, obviously the look and the is completely different, as you mentioned. Definitely borrowed a little bit from Kingpin, also a little bit from the character Tobias Whale, who's the the if folks who are familiar with the live action black lightning series is sort of this albino uh, uh, mob boss who's sort of indestructible. So they, yeah, there's definitely, there's a little bit of Kingpin. There's a little bit of this, this Tobias whale character. And then you also, obviously you, you, you did use the, the comic name to sort of really make this completely different versions, completely new character. And again, as, as we'll get to in voice acting and things, and then certainly in visuals, even in a second here to really just, create a perfect antagonist where where it still feels justice league episode you know this because so much of this is is really heavy on you know on the topics of you know it's crime bosses and and backstabbing and murder and revenge and everything and and then to still have this sort of larger than life villain that the heroes can can fight against at the end that's really kind of uh you know running running through them to an extent at least at first it's it really creates a fun, a fun environment. And yeah, that, that uh, kind of com- taking a little bit from a few different comic characters and molding it into this, this one antagonist for this episode is uh, it really, yeah, it really just all comes together along with all the other stuff that we've mentioned when it, you know, the, the comedy and, and, and the heart and the, uh, you know, and character growth. Absolutely. Um, I think, I think the, the most amazing thing about this episode and then i'll give my score that i i was thinking about as i was watching this is you take this series that was originally grounded it was a batman the animated series grounded these no no superheroes nobody with crazy powers all like fighting with mobsters and stuff like that and this kind of brings it back from despite the beginning where we're Mm -hmm. in a a literal international space station uh hanging out in space (laughs) with a bunch of of superheroes and a martian uh this episode is very much grounded in that original feel and this story i couldn't help but feel especially when you get to that car chase uh, across the train tracks i was like man this if this doesn't feel like this could have been a batman the animated series plot like it's just so grounded and so um so different than what we get for the majority of of this series which i love justice league unlimited but you're dealing with aliens and and conspiracies and superpowers and then clones and all of that like all of these things that that come into play here and and brainiac and and it, all of that like all of that it, it becomes very mm-hmm. a lot larger than just heroes on the ground without powers fighting with their fists and this episode brings it back down to that which is a nice breath of fresh air for the for the series it allows everything else i feel like in this storyline to breathe a little bit 
you know, and you you build up some characters, flesh out some characters that otherwise may have not fit in some of those stories where you have aliens and you know you're going to outer space. So it does a great job of doing that. I love this episode. Tremendous writing from Miss Simone. Great direction. Everything about this episode, I love it. I had no choice. Ten out of ten for my plot score. Nice. Yeah, I was. Uh... There, I, I also gave it a, a 10 out of 10 for, for all the reasons we mentioned. It's, it's so much fun. And then on top of that, as, as we often like to talk about, our characters are not in, are in a different place than they were at the start of our episode. And, and we know more about these characters. And, you know, not, not so spoiler alert, some of these characters have pretty big roles to play in that, in that big uh, Cadmus arc uh, episodes we have yet to cover so when you get to those episodes and those characters are in danger or they have a you know sort of a a character moment or something there it means a little bit more because we had this this 22 minutes to learn a bit more about them and learn to care about them a little bit more absolutely right on with that all right Liam let's move on to our next category and that is going to be animation and visuals I'll let you go first because I feel like I talked a whole lot about that plot. But uh, (laughs) now, actually, you know what? I'm going to go first. I will just say from the get-go, it's an interesting, we talked talked about it. Uh, We talked about the opening scene with the the two gangsters and the the scones. And I thought like, man, this is kind of a lackluster opening here. Not a lot of action. But then once you finally introduce the huntress and she literally drops from the skies with the moon as as her backdrop, I thought, man... What a what a great entrance! And th- there is a lot of action in this episode. When but it's broken up by a lot of dialogue and a lot of a lot of story progression too. But uh, what did you uh, what did you like when it came to animation and visuals? Well, first I think we just have to mention uh, uh, you already touched on it briefly, but yes, Ag- Edgar is the the younger version of the the albino psychic. Uh, that we meet in Batman Beyond and the Zeta Project. And uh, so it's, it's funny to see that. But yeah, as, as we already sort of touched on in, in plot a little bit, this the, the, the character designs are really something that stuck out to me. Um, Huntress has a redesigned look here from, again, we hadn't really seen her in, in any sort of direct action. I think she's in Darkheart, maybe. We might see her like swinging a staff at some, some little spider robots, but... Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise she's just kind of been standing in the background of a few scenes, but she's pretty much wearing the, the Jim Lee hush. Uh, I'm, I could be wrong about who, who, uh, designed that suit, but I would think of it as the, I think it's attributed to Jim Lee. Yeah. But that, but that suit certainly, uh, uh, which, uh, is, is kind of the, her early to mid two thousands look, um, pretty much perfectly adapted into this series with the, with the white stripe across her chest and then going sort of outlining her cape Uh, really really fun as you mentioned that opening sequence when she sort of comes out of the air and and takes out the two goons and then is sort of skulking through the uh the mansion and sort of encroaching on on the bedroom and pulls out the gun it's all very very dramatic and um but yeah the 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 other character designs i will mention here uh of course mandragora himself as as we've already talked about he's he's a little bit kingpin he's a little bit uh, a little bit Tobias Whale, and, and and it just really comes across as this 
again, you, you see him, he's in like a, a kimono when we first see him. <laughs> and, uh, and he's, and he's, you know, eating these oysters, he's being so slimy, and he's literally like licking the plate while he's talking to Black Canary, he just could not be more sleazy. Yep. Uh, and they really captured that well. And, and then at the end, when he's actually fighting the Justice League, it's, you totally believe it, though, because he just comes across so imposing and you know, when he when he starts to run, you have like these big booms, booming sound effects, and you really feel like there's weight to this character. Um, and you know, he's like he picks up Black Canary by her head at one point, and he's swinging around this big steel girder and sort of making quick work of the question and and Green Arrow. So him as sort of just this force of nature, uh, I think is uh, it comes across really well. And then and then uh, elsewhere in character designs, I'll just mention. We have some uh, some unofficial cameos uh, in this episode. The first maybe being, uh, as you mentioned, in that first scene, we have uh, the characters of Cecil and Tony who are who are talking about scones and who are later dressed up as the the fake cops that uh, that break Mandragora out. Uh, clearly, or uh, based on uh, Cecil is based on uh, Bobby from The Sopranos, mm-hmm. uh, while uh, while Tony is based on the character of Polly, uh, who in fact the actor who played Polly, the name in real life is Tony Sirico. Uh, so uh, definitely, and actually, when we get to voice actors, there's there's definitely no doubt in my mind that the, that the other character is based on Bobby because it's the guy who played Bobby right. in the show, uh, voicing them. Spoiler alert! So. Uh, we have so yeah so Sopranos uh, unofficial cameos there and then uh, uh, pl- playing the role so to speak of of uh, of Helena Bertinelli's father uh, appears to be none other than Scarface uh, but uh, <laughs> but Tony Montana the uh, of course the famous uh, Al Pacino role uh, a bit more uh, DCAU he's got the the big barrel chest and everything with the the black bolt sort of the the bangs hanging down and and the literal scar across his cheek there's really no mistaking for uh who that is exactly a lot of fun little uh, visual homages to to mob movies and, and and television shows here thrown in which i think is just a really neat touch yeah yeah i agree i think it's uh it's plenty of fun to be had there with the with the homages and nods to classic gangsters yeah i was like man uh i i wonder if uh if helena realized that her dad was tony montana like that's that's pretty crazy uh uh al pacino himself hanging out there uh but yeah go go figure uh yeah i i think there's a as i said i think there's a lot of story that is told here so there there are action beats i would say that the first fight between the huntress question green arrow and black canary is is likely uh one of the coolest ones that we get we get a lot of the shaky cam that happens and a lot of camera moving as the the characters are avoiding punches and one of the things that i thought was really neat was there's a there's a point where the question connects a punch with green arrow and there's this with the white flash that they sort of use a lot of times to indicate the impact the white flash occurs and it's immediately shifts they use that as a transition to a to a, a punch or a kick that's i think being connected by the huntress to black canary uh so there was a lot of back and forth in that scene and i thought that that was directed very very well right before that actually there was something that stuck out to me too as you mentioned uh, as mandragora is taunting both 
Green Arrow and Black Canary. He initially goes after Green Arrow first, trying to say all these subject suggestive things to Black Canary in an effort to rile up the Green Arrow. And there's this one one part where he's talking specifically about these oysters, and the they went from this this point of view shot behind Green Arrow, and it's just his hand hanging down, and you see his his fist clench. And I was like, man, this is a comic book panel. This is exactly what this is. This is exactly, <laughs> if you were reading a comic book, this is exactly the view that they would give. You could see Mandragora past his hanging arm and his fist clenches real quick, showing you like it was perfect. I was like, man, this is like reading a comic book. Uh, but I really like that. And I think, uh, of course, the car chase is really great too. We get some great car action. Those you don't don't have a ton of those throughout especially when things are taking place in space and are, are relying more on the fisticuff side of things but i thought the the action beat of a of a car chase bringing some of those we saw some of those a lot of those actually i feel like in batman the animated series because that was a much more of a grounded thing so bringing that back and allowing this car chase as you mentioned that takes place with this oncoming train and uh, the the question drives his car down one of the tunnels just in time and uh, the, the reactions on the face of the Green Arrow and Black Canary as they see the train coming and group the, the tension building as to how they're going to get out of it before the, the train crushes them. I loved that. Uh, Canary's scream also that I thought that was pretty intense also as she's holding this this canary cry she's spreading her arms out we get the visualization of it as she's hitting mandragora with it he kind of puts his arms up to try and block it and we see the full force that he's taking as it begins to rip his shirt and jacket off and he's standing there taking it and then there's this slight smile that he gets when he realizes he's coming closer and he's not gonna you know he's gonna be able to outlast her i thought that was great as well um yeah i i think also the uh the initial it's I think we talked about this in the doomsday sanction, but for a character who doesn't have a face, how do you provide emotion to this character? And I thought even in that very first scene mm -hmm. where 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 uh, and some of it is definitely the vocal performance that we'll talk about in a few minutes. But I, I feel like he's very much in that opening scene where the huntress walks into his uh, his dorm. He's he's very dismissive in his hand in his hand motions. And he's clearly just like not paying this girl any attention, which I love because it doesn't give you a single hint that he has any sort of attraction to her until the final scene. And I love when he, he breaks the news to her when she's like, why would you help me? And he's sort of the character himself, because he can't emote it in his face, they have him sort of embarrassingly, bashfully like turn away from her a little bit when he admits that he's because he <laughs> likes her. And I was like, man, what an effective way to communicate his like, borderline humiliation of having to admit that he likes this insane person um just just great way to to communicate emotion for a character that you otherwise it's it's, it's hard to do so because they don't have a face yeah that's that's really brilliant yeah, there's it's all it's all body language and and obviously we'll talk about voice acting in a little in a little bit here but but yeah the just the the, the sheepish way as you said he kind of turns away and is his a little bit as he's as he's uh sort of in, in telling her about it is, is is quite is quite tremendous there and yeah there's a there's a lot of uh fun bit there yeah the the canary versus huntress fight was is 
it's like it's, it kind of goes zero to 100 and, and again we always talk about that i think i always talk about that when uh it seems when joaquin de santos is is the director of these episodes but they're always just like there's a little extra flourish i think in these fight scenes and it's just a spot where they're they're sort of fighting and huntress is kind of taunting black canary and, and then black canary catches her her huntress's foot on a kick and then just sort of turns and spins and throws her like head first into a car and it's just so brutal <laughs> and it's and it's just yeah i, th- I thought the, uh, the the fight sequence between them is is fun and and the car the, the car chase sequence i think is really fun as they're they're again they're sort of jumping this uh this tow truck they use as a ramp and then sort of dealing with the train and an example of them again using i think C- cgi vehicles at least the the questions car and uh and the train are but using that cell shading to kind of hide it a little bit so it, it didn't i think it, it worked out pretty well and and yeah i i think it, it all it all it all kind of comes together there uh, again I, I i kind of talked about it in the plot but the 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 flashback sequence of of huntress's parents being killed is really really harrowing like from from when you know he when her father tells him to get behind her as, as you said it kind of mirrors what happens later in the episode with mandragora and his son but you see you shadow of this this hulking figure and mandragora throw his his fists up in the air and apparently coming down and then it just cuts to this close-up of young helena's eye which then zooms out a little and fades into adult huntress's eye and then later when huntress is now threatening mandragora in front of his child uh you know we we again we sort of get this close-up of of edgar's eye which then sort of transitions back into young helena's eye and back to huntress's eye and it's just this really good example of just like really pushing in and among all of this this crazy superhero action kind of just using these really dramatic simple things these transitions of of you know just really focusing in on on the eyes of these characters i thought was a really really clever and and again just really adds to the weight of what happened and what you know huntress in that moment is considering doing is she going to you know take on and basically become uh to to this child what what mandragora was for her for the last you know 20 some years or whatever so it's just really, really dramatic, and and the the, the sort of the camera effects and the, and the close ups and things they used, I thought really, really added to that sequence as well. Yeah, I I agree, and the fact that, like you said that they went back to it in that final scene, and we we see that maybe our character has had some growth, and we do that through the visuals that, as you said, that she compares this to exactly what she went through before so yeah i really really enjoy a lot of this as i said there's not as much action maybe as you would think i love that we do get sort of a a a round two fight uh, between green arrow and and the question and and black canary and huntress uh, at the docks but it's it's really not completely fully wrapped up we do know that there is a there is a uh a a a a second fight later on in the third season a rematch uh, between huntress and, and black canary but mm-hmm. uh, that that will that will have to wait for another episode to uh, to get that fully fleshed out but uh yes i i, I think that uh, there's a lot to enjoy here it's 
it's I didn't think anything particularly blew me away uh, other than maybe the car scene, which I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed that they also didn't use uh, CGI cars for that. They, they did go seemingly with the, the classic hand-drawn vehicles for that. And I think that really added to the, didn't take me out of the scene as I, I feared it may if they had gone with the CGI vehicle route as they had other times in the series. Uh, so kudos to them for going the old school route there. But um, very, very strong episode. A lot of things that I enjoyed, uh, you know, from from the start of the episode to the end. And uh, because of that, I ended up giving things a very strong nine out of ten. What about you? Yeah, I'm just one point lower at an eight out of ten. Yeah, I, I think it's it's really strong overall. And I think I think some of the uh, a lot of the the best moments for me visually were those non-action beats like i said just really really trying to make you feel you know again the the fear that the 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 children are feeling and then the you know the anguish and the and the hatred that that huntress feels and sort of seeing and and sort of the the cold look on her face as she's seemingly contemplating going down this very dark path i i think those are maybe some of the best moments even if it doesn't have as much uh, spectacular action as some of our other episodes do Absolutely. All right, Liam, let's move on to our next category, which is going to be music. As you mentioned, two thirds of the dynamic music partners responsible for this week's music. Uh, What stood out for you when it came to uh, some of the music that was featured in this week's episode? Uh, Yeah, so I I don't I don't have a ton for music. One one bit I did notice is that when when Huntress is first sort of teleported up to the watchtower and John sort of comes bearing down on her and 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 you sort of get just touches of the uh justice the original justice league theme brought in which i thought was very it was kind of a neat touch and then i think throughout the episode you kind of get a lot of a lot of what i would consider more of the what you would expect from a jlu episode as far as you get a lot of guitar and and more you know drum and guitar heavy music and in your action beats and sort of building up to those uh, those moments of dread. I do think there's there's a moment when when sort of uh, I think Mandragora knocks Green Arrow down and and he's sort of charging towards him and and Black Canary cuts him off to sort of have their big one-on-one showdown. There's there's sort of a theme that comes in that I think is it, I believe was also played in, in the Cat and Canary episodes to kind of bring that back to be uh, the Canaries theme here, which I, I did sort of stand out there because we always we always like to note when there's a a returning sort of heroic theme that comes back from a previous episode. So definitely think there's some uh, some strong uh, some strong musical moments there, and and probably the the biggest ones come from the uh, from the from that final bit on the uh, on the docks. Yeah, uh, I I had uh, I had that notated as well, and yeah, there is a lot of heavy guitars. There's uh, I think that the music that accompanies the the chase scene in the in the vehicle. There's some some great guitar wailing that that starts out with some heavy percru- uh, percussion that I feel like matches them, sort of uh, headed to headed down the railroad tracks as as the question pulls onto the railroad tracks. The percussion and as soon as they recognize that somebody's following them, it sort of picks up and you get more of the guitar come in. Um, I, the that same guitar mat is matched in the initial fight between uh, the the four heroes and uh, really picks up once the uh, the first punch is thrown. So. Uh, we have we have that as well, and then then matches towards the end. Also, I thought that the leading up to the point, and certainly some of the horns and keys, 
uh, or the, the pseudo horns and, and the keys through the synthesizer that are played as we're sort of waiting with bated breath to find out what uh, Huntress is going to do with regards to Mandragora and the flashes of, of her flashing back and then cutting to Edgar and him looking terrified and, and then Mandragora sort of pushing Edgar behind him. And so the tension really building is, you know, kind of waiting what's going to happen. And then once she pulls the trigger and, and aims it and, and the, the, uh, the, the, the steel beams drop on Mandragora, there's sort of a, sort of a little interlude that plays there, but yeah, I, I think most of it is nothing stood out terribly. I will say that I felt like there was a bit of a missed opportunity to have the Green Arrow theme play when he reveals himself to be standing behind Mandragora mm-hmm. uh, at, the, at the docks. I get, get, get the Green Arrow theme in there. Uh, I was waiting for it and, uh, and it never, never showed up. So I was a little disappointed <laughs> with that. Uh, but I, I do think that the, the music, even from the start, as, uh, as the Huntress is... Uh, sort of revealed in that opening and uh, that cold opening I thought was 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 good and I think it it does it does you have to listen for it so I don't think there's a lot that stands out but if you are listening to it I do feel like it adds to the scenes and I feel like that it it uh, does what it's supposed to do in creating drama and creating the action you know uh, it, bringing the, uh, the action up a level a little bit. So uh, for all those reasons, I ended up giving music a, a, a good seven out of 10. What about you? Yeah, I'm just one point lower there, six out of 10. I definitely think there's some good moments. And especially as you talk about, it talks about the, the, uh, the moments where it's building up to that final moment is, is Huntress going to pull the trigger and you can have that, that really sort of shrieking ominous guitar sounding. And then it sort of just drops out almost completely. And you just sort of have a little bit of an echo there as she, as she sort of makes the decision before the, the music sort of comes back in in a more heroic way after, after it's clear what she's going to do. I think they, the, again, we, we often talk about how it's not only, you know, the music itself, but sort of how it's used and when it's used and when it's, when it knows to sort of fade out and and of course not not surprisingly with with who we have responsible for our music this week that uh, they're quite good at uh, picking their spots as it were so uh, yeah another another really solid job all around absolutely all right well that will bring us to our final category for this week which is going to be our voice acting not a huge cast but uh, we have a we have a couple of returning stalwarts and series regulars as well as a, a few new voices and a few recognizable names as well. Let's uh, let's run down this week's voice cast. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty big one. Most mostly guest stars, as mentioned. Other than uh, briefly, we have Carl Lumbly as as Jean at the beginning, but otherwise, it's uh, it's pretty much our, our guest cast is carrying us this week. We do have some familiar names we've talked about before, but uh, as as I sort of uh, mentioned earlier, we do have briefly uh, Steve Sharippa as Cecil, the 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 henchman. Who in fact was, uh, who in fact played Bobby on The Sopranos, and then plays again a sort of a lookalike to that character here, and then we have uh, Tony, uh, Joe Napote as as Tony, who again was was based on another Sopranos character. So fun, fun again. They have some that that really fun back and forth there, and then. Uh, but how come when I make the scones, they don't got that good flavor like yours, Tony? Do I have to tell you again how you got to add the orange zest, Cecil? You going to make me give you the recipe again? Huh? You're killing me here, Cecil. Killing me. I heard something. 
Shut up, Cecil. I'm trying to listen. Why you gotta be so mean all the time, Tony? I'm always nice to you. You're killing me, Cecil. For our, for our villain of the piece, we have uh, Glenn Shaddix, who folks would probably know best from uh, a lot of Tim Burton stuff, most, most famously maybe uh, Beetlejuice and uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, but uh, him playing this sort of, you know, it's got, he's another one of those guys who he has a, an accent that would be hard to place. <laughs> Correct. But he's, he's doing this sort of vaguely, I guess, vaguely European sounding, uh, you know, uh, sort of uh, ominous villain performance. But uh, great. You could imagine this guy being a, a Disney villain pretty easily. Like he he really has that that sinister edge. And again, it, it really comes across, I think, in some of those those moments with him uh, with him talking to Canary and, and Arrow early in the episode and, and dealing with uh, direct uh, King Faraday. My job is to prep you to testify before the grand jury, Mr. Mandragore. You're going to have to come up with a lot more than some mook who may or may not be around anymore if you want immunity from prosecution. I am doing my best. You can't blame me for being nervous. I have enemies everywhere, even Justice League enemies. Besides... I'm ravaged by hunger. Feed me and I shall squeal on all manner of former associates. Speaking of squealing, Black Canary, I notice you can't take your eyes off of me. One can hardly blame you. Perhaps after Agent Faraday helps absolve me of my alleged crimes, I could put you in a cage and have you sing for me. Listen, you giant tub of- Green Arrow, may I remind you that you're here strictly in a security capacity? Yes, why don't you go and fetch me another four platters of oysters like a good little leprechaun? I'm sure your girlfriend and I will have much to discuss while you're gone. I like my oysters sweet, by the way. Sweet and juicy. Let him talk, Arrow. With all the enemies he's made, he never knows if he's eating his last meal. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he gets to, he kind of gets to... Flexes, uh, spread his legs, or not spread his legs. Guy gets to, uh, <laughs> he gets to stretch his legs. Leave that one in. That one's funny. Uh, <laughs> he gets to stretch his legs. Thank you. Uh, a little bit, and and really kind of show some some range throughout this episode. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. I was about to say, yeah, he he does have certainly some range there, as he is as you mentioned the sleaziness at the beginning then certainly the the reveal at the end very overconfident at times also in his ability and uh, i think even as he begins prote- begins to be a protective father as he tries to to comfort edgar thinking that this might be the end for him uh, but then returning sort of to uh after just being sort of sleazy and and sort of uh, thinking that he's the smartest guy in the room and outsmarted them is just going to be returned to prison at that point. I think is uh, there's a there's certainly a roller coaster of of a performance there of going, especially in that last scene of what he has to go through. Uh, he attacks attacks Canary and is sort of being the 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 t- prototypical villain. Then he goes to the smug, arrogant. All right, well, get, you got to take me to prison. To the sort of surprised realization that he's actually going to be facing somebody that doesn't may not have a moral code and may just kill him uh to to being the protective father 
Uh, so yeah, I, th I think there's uh, there's quite a range that's shown there. And this version, this character that that they created, uh, this version of this character that they created for the show, voiced by this character, I, I think just makes it, it makes it one of those things where I I can't imagine, and just be, probably because I've seen this episode so many times, but I can't imagine another voice behind this character. I felt like it was a great voice casting and a and a great performance all the way around there for him. We have. Marina Baccarin returning as Black Canary, and of course, along paired once again with Kid Schreiner as uh, as the Green Arrow. And again, uh, they're they're not the the main characters of this episode. They're they're more of sort of played as the again the the straight the straight man and woman of this, as they're they're sort of just reacting to all this insanity that's going on around them. But again, I think they still have a few fun moments, both. Uh, like we said in those those sort of quieter moments before uh, question hunters show up at the house, they they get to again do some some comedy and they they also get to have some some sort of sweeter more romantic stuff and then towards the end they get to have the more uh, you know again the more action heavy the the one liners. I will say <laughs> that I, I give Miss Baxter a lot of credit because there's a point where the Black Canary, uh, you know cuts off uh mandragora before he can attack green arrow again and and she has to deliver the line no one messes with the justice league mm -hmm. uh, which is is pretty it's pretty cheesy it's pretty corny but uh i think she she pulls it off she just she plays it the exact right amount of uh of serious to it where it it doesn't come off completely hokey or, or out of place there <laughs> anyone ever tell you mandragora no one messes with the justice league but yeah, even though not in a a starring role this episode uh miss backer and and kin shriner's green arrow certainly get still get some chances to shine Oh, there's a bunch of great one-liners that uh, that Mr. Schreiner has, and uh, you know, uh, you're not supposed to drive when you're angry. I loved that line. I loved when he says that uh, you know he threatens <laughs> Mandragora. Don't make me sick, Black Canary. Or I think that's uh, I think that's when he's talking to the question. Don't make me sick, Black Canary, on you. Uh, I loved that. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of back and forth. And I, I think even as you mentioned that, uh, or as I mentioned before, that touching moment where there's this sort of question that's posed about, you know, the, 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 uh, the morality to allowing a, somebody that is well known to be a killer to walk free or protection in some way in exchange for information and whether or not that's, that's honestly something that should happen. This is ridiculous. I can't believe we're going to all this trouble to protect a killer. It's how it goes, Dinah. They let a bad guy go free, he rats out dozens of others. It's not perfect. No. No, it isn't. Makes you wonder how his victims would feel if they knew. Hey, you're gonna get all serious on me. You bet. More cops. So? The more the merrier. Someone else, too. 
and there's this it's it's just this sort of downbeat of a of a moment that happens just before this big action scene but i feel like it's it was written perfectly and it's it, the performances between uh, miss Backran and mr schreiner are are, are are just great because it's it's just a soft beat where they get to have this little little conversation and and black canary is clearly struggling with this idea and and uh and and green arrow you know admits it's not a perfect system and it's not a perfect perfect plan but ultimately it's for the greater good that they're doing it so it's just this little like half beat of the story but i i thought that that little moment was touching along with the other the other comedy bits uh, you know after uh green arrow gets jean to teleport them out of the tunnel and and they're they're in the harbor there and, and black canary's first reaction isn't to say hey thanks for saving our bacon no it's she's mad that that her bike is destroyed and she like throws a punch at him and uh it's it's really great i really really enjoyed that that's uh they have mm -hmm. some great chemistry in this episode and uh certainly uh building off of their previous chemistry in in the their prior episodes i i thought that this was a great showing for especially for them being more supporting cast as you said as opposed to sort of the main focus absolutely and then uh our our other pairing for this week we have the returning Jeffrey Combs as the question again we, we talked about him quite a bit in in fearful symmetry the, the Supergirl episode where he kind of got his uh, his introduction but you have him paired along with uh, with Amy Acker who folks would know from uh, things like Angel and Cabin in the Woods uh, playing Huntress and uh, again just there's and again, that really comes across in in all of the the body language that we see on screen, as well as 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 the story beats for the two couples. But they could not be any more polar opposite than that that sort of like sweet, romantic, quirky, snarky, quippy relationship that uh, that Canary and Green Arrow have. Whereas they're just they're just just these two raving lunatics just <laughs> just feeding into each other's worst impulses throughout for most of this episode and and they're just playing off each other great but uh jeffrey combs and, and amy acker together just uh, just again natural pairing especially for uh even though again jeffrey combs said had, had done one other episode as the question to this point uh pairing pairing those two off and, and having them gel as well as they did was just uh, another another great piece of uh, of casting and voice directing by andre Arcano. do you have any idea what you've done yes i hunted a murderer a murderer the league's protecting we don't have time for this. We've got to ask the question what he just picked up and put in his pocket. Me? Don't make me ask again. Oh. You mean this? It's a storage key for a place down by the train station. All right, you two stay here. Don't make me sick Black Canary on you. You've only seen her nice side so far. What was that for? All that crazy mystery man mojo and you couldn't even pick up a clue without being seen? The key wasn't the clue. The key was mine. Now, this list of container ship arrivals I palmed while they were yelling at you, that's the clue. 
Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, their their chemistry is almost immediate. As I said, that that first scene where the huntress walks into his uh, walks into his dorm and he has to deliver the line. Okay, bored now. Goodbye. Like, <laughs> and then as she's like sort of continuing to hang around and like poke and prod and try and get him to help her, uh, he's like, "Go away! Don't touch that!" Like he's he, he's clearly just annoyed with her presence uh and mr combs again having to deliver a performance with a character that doesn't have the the benefit of having a face to to show emotion it's all based on his his very dry very sarcastic at times delivery and uh and and she plays off it well i think they're the perfect odd dcau odd couple for whatever reason it works very well um that touching moment where he actually recounts to her her origin story essentially is is a is a great great opportunity for him to to do some dramatic work and the way that he tells the story and and then her response realizing that he's kind of put all this together and why she's out for revenge and then uh, the aforementioned little bit at the end where uh, he has to finally admit to her that he has feelings for her and uh, does so. We already mentioned like the, the, the animation of, of the question being sort of ashamed of the fact that he has to admit this, but it's also in the vocal performance <laughs> because there's, there's this hesitancy that Mr. Combs does before he delivers the line. He's, it is because I like you <laughs> it's, it's so so good it's like it was the perfect it's delivery. almost uh it's, it's almost shatner-esque like <laughs> the pause or like or like someone doing a parody of shatner at least Just that that breathy dramatic pause between the words i and like you or you know i and like you like it's just this really dramatic it's probably only a second but it feels so long so much longer and it's yes yeah, it's, it's really quite perfect yeah, I, I agree. A uh, lot of great performances this week. Everybody that, uh, as we said, not a huge cast, but the, I feel like the people that had to carry the, uh, the, the, the lion's share of it did just such an incredible job and, and really rounded out the episode for me. So I felt like I had no choice but to give voice acting a perfect 10 out of 10. Awesome. Yeah. And I, uh, for all the reasons we've talked about, I, I also came to that exact same score, another 10 out of 10. Well, Liam, I guess we will. That is the sound of the bonus point sound. And you know what that means? Mm -hmm. That means we've arrived at the time where we talk about our bonus points and, uh, that, that being me. Um, I just want to, want to reiterate just what a perfect, piece of writing from from miss simone for this episode like she she that story that she shared with how this story came to be and and just the fact that she had had not written anything for the dca you obviously a prolific writer before has done lots of amazing comic book runs mm -hmm. lots of stuff with batgirl a lot had goes on to actually write uh a, a, another black canary huntress story for batman the brave and the bold later on um a, another another fun one so mm -hmm. we we she knows these characters well but the 
man, bat a thousand, you step up to the, to the plate in your first at bat and you hit a home run. Like how often does that happen? You know, how, what names can you, can you list off that you can say that happened with, um, you know, it, it, she's in rarefied air with that. So just the fact that she, she wrote such a great story, a fun story, a grounded story, and, uh, and is really a, a tremendous writer that, that maybe doesn't get enough credit for what she's done for, for the comic book industry and, and her writing uh, just had to give it an extra plus one for, for her writing for this episode. Love that. Yeah. I mean, you can't, can't say enough good things about this. You, you mentioned this did originally sort of start out as a, as a birds of prey idea. And uh, of course, Gail, maybe, maybe most famously is, is uh, wrote a, a incredibly celebrated run all with those characters as you know, so so yeah, it's fun to see her get to take those characters, some of those same characters, on in a in a different world, a different style, but still as 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 we've talked about for the last uh, the last hour or so here, just really uh, really bring her unique sensibilities and, and and how well it just immediately fits in, and, and like we talked about it it makes you care about uh, you know all of these characters more the next time you see them, which is is really all you can ask for. Absolutely. All right, Liam. Well, that will bring us to our total for this week's episode. Totaling everything up, I end up with a, well, it's a top pick, baby. Go figure. Uh, one of our, one of my <laughs> favorite episodes of all time ends up being one of the top picks because it holds up to our critique here. Ends up being a 37 out of 40, including my bonus point. What about you? Yeah, I'm a couple points lower. Not too low, though. 34 out of 40 for myself. So uh, good to see it get into top picks uh, territory, though, because it certainly deserves it. This is a, this is a blast. And as, as, as we always talk about rewatchability as we wrap up here, uh, for all the reasons we've already talked about, it's a great, fun episode. It's got action and comedy and romance and heart. And, and then on, on, on one side, so it's a great episode in its own right. But then, as you mentioned, it uh, it also, again, it, it's it's great character building, you know, for for all of these characters, but especially for the question and and Huntress who come back as a as a huge part of the the final sort of big story arc of the season. So, uh, I think this is an easy two thumbs up for rewatchability. Yeah, it's it's one of my favorite episodes of all time. If I haven't mentioned that at least five times already, so yeah, I'm going <laughs> to give two two thumbs up, even if it wasn't though. Yeah, for those those very important reasons character development uh, a great story overall uh there even though it doesn't as we said it 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 sort of sidesteps the cadmus story arc it does set up the 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 huntress and question love angle that comes back into play later on we get more furthering the stories of of uh of black canary and green arrow also so yeah no brainer two thumbs up definitely recommend this one on a on a rewatch all right, Liam. Well, that will bring us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. What a fun week we've had here. Don't forget, if you are if you enjoyed this podcast or if you enjoy our podcast, you can support us a couple of different ways. If you listen to us on a podcast app and it allows you like Spotify or, or Apple Podcasts, allows you to give us a rating. We will love a five-star rating for you. It allows you to leave a little blurb and, uh, and, and let people know what it is that you enjoy about us you can do that that's one way to support us another way to support us is to head on over to youtube.com slash the pod tower you can subscribe to the pod
Pod Tower, and then you can find our videos, like the videos that we post. Uh, that that helps out a lot. Also, that gets gets people uh, headed to that channel, and uh, and also gets uh, you know gets our our stuff out there to a different audience on on the YouTube there. So that's greatly appreciated as well. If you want to support us monetarily, a couple different ways you could do that. There's a link at the bottom of the podcast. You can also head over to dcaureview.com and click on our shop, pick up a piece of merch if you'd like to. There's some great stuff over there if you want to support us that way. And of course, you can always follow us on social media at DCAUReview on Twitter and Instagram. Lots of fun stuff happening over there. Lots of great conversation happening on Twitter. Twitter, generally speaking, is a cesspool of garbage, but I will say... (laughs) When it comes to DCAU Twitter, uh, boy, it's a lot of fun. And we have a lot of fun interacting with people uh, for, uh, for what it's worth. So uh, come on over, join the conversation. And, and don't forget, if you are listening on Spotify, there is a weekly poll that we put up and a question of the week that allows you to interact with us. So feel free to, uh, to respond to the question or vote in our poll if you're listening on Spotify. Liam. Coming up next week, we have another exciting review of another Justice League Unlimited episode. Let's talk about that. That is right, Cal. Another episode of JLU up on the docket next week. And uh, we're going to hit pause for a little bit on the on the Cadmus arc and instead look to uh, one of the, uh, the last non-Cadmus adventures of this second season of Justice League Unlimited. But it is episode that is steeped deeply in the continuity of the DCAU because it is a sort of semi-sequel to one of the one of the most epic uh, DCAU adventures ever which was of course the three-part Starcrossed. We are going to be reviewing Hunter's Moon which uh, we'll see Hawkgirl come face to face with some of her former allies in that in that Vanagarian army. Uh, Her along with some of the other uh, Justice Leaguers come face to face with them again so excited to see how well this sequel could uh, could it possibly live up to the original uh, we'll find out next week a, uh, a herculean task to say the least but uh, we'll find out excited to do that with you and until then i'm cal and i'm lee and we'll talk to you on the next episode of the dcau review bye bye